Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. As I get ready, you can be seated this morning. So glad to see you today. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, I'm a, I am so excited about what God is doing at Celebration in, in our church and in our region. We just want, He's alive. We want to continue. I want to encourage you to be with us tomorrow night for First Monday. God is doing incredible things in our church, and it's just a great time to get together and saturate and get out of that, as Heather said, get out of the house, get out of the muck, get out of whatever you're in, and come, come worship with us, come saturate. It's going to be a great time. I want to share a testimony with you this morning before I jump into teaching. Um, I just literally just saw this testimony. Uh, some of you have been praying. Uh, you saw on Facebook the post of the little boy that we were praying for. Those were... Um, Folks that we knew in, in New Orleans, and their child was going through some, a health crisis. So if you saw that, you'll understand this testimony. Uh, but I'm just going to read a portion of it. If you want to see the whole thing, you can go on uh, Facebook, on my Facebook page and check it out. But here's the testimony. It says, this morning, Taj woke up a different boy. Both doctors checked him and said they heard air moving through his left lung for the first time. The chest tube was removed shortly after. No x-ray was done today and won't be done until tomorrow or Monday. He isn't struggling to breathe. He walked around by himself for the first time since being here and even refused assistance when asked for help. For the first time in 16 days, we saw our boy laugh, smile over the course of the day. It's awesome. It's awesome. One doctor made the comment, it's incredible that he's acting like that after looking at his x-ray. We believe the miracle has begun and he is no longer stuck. No action will be taken over the next couple of days other than normal antibiotics and he's observed closely and monitored. We are now praying and believing that the next x-ray will show significant progress as the fluid is absorbed by the body and no further surgical action will be required. It's awesome. Uh, for those that don't know, this child, they were, they were telling mom and dad, they've been, they even moved mom and dad into the hotel at the hospital in New Orleans and said, get ready, this is going to be a long journey. And um, they said the only solution, they've tried the chest tubes, tried everything to get the fluid off of his lungs, couldn't do it. They said the only option is an invasive surgery. And, uh, but, <laughs> but God, but a miracle. Thank you, Lord. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 10. I am so excited to share this word with you today. I want to, and, and looking at the time, I probably won't be able to get through all of it today. I have multiple pages of notes and such that I want to share with you. And I would encourage you to take notes, whether you're taking them on your phone app or you know, if iPad, whatever you do, whatever method you use to take notes. I would encourage you to take notes uh, this morning. As I want to dive deep and unpack something that's uh, very common to us all, and that's our mouth. <laughs> I, 
I wanna, I wanna dive deep into, into what we say and, and maybe, maybe touch on a subject this morning that might be considered a little controversial uh, depending on, on where you've grown up in different church environments and such. This, this subject has kind of been taken um, and, and twisted into a self-serving uh, topic and conversation. And so um, I, I, want, I want to take a biblical look at this. So don't, when I say this word, don't throw tomatoes at me because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it and present it and teach it in a way that's biblical and not self-serving. And that is the power of our confession, the power of what we say. And, um, you know, I, I am not one of those that, that just says that we have the ability the, to, to say whatever we want and, you know, put your, put your Mercedes picture up on the, on the refrigerator and walk by it and slap it every day and confess God's going to give me a Mercedes. And that's, that's what you're going to get. I, you know, I don't necessarily go down that path. But I do believe, I absolutely believe that there, are, there is power in the words that we speak. And so I want to I take a look at the topic of our conversation. Most of us operate, our carnal nature, our carnal self, operates largely driven by what we fear. Most, if you think about what you say, what comes out of your mouth... Probably 90%, hopefully less, but it, it might be more for some. What, what you say is driven by what you fear. Think about how you interact with your children, for example. Is your discipline being driven by what you fear they might do or fear the, fear the consequences of what might happen? Or is it, is it, are you teaching them? Are you, are you bringing correction and teaching in, in, in a God-light and biblical perspective. You know, some of you, that might just be a revelation in and of itself today, is that, that disciplining your children is, is not a response, a fear response. Discipline for your children ought to be a biblical response, helping them understand what God says about something. Yeah. Amen. Don't shout me down. So let me jump back to this idea of fear, because I, I, I want to I want to give you the foundation where we oftentimes operate from, and I want to show you where God's called us to operate. So I, I feel like we have to have a foundation for where we're at to understand where God's taking us. Is, uh, do you understand? So there, there's four common fears that really drive us all. And the first one, uh, and, and, and depending on who you are, you might find this a different level of fear operating greater than others. But, but here's the four. One is the fear of change. I would say probably 60% of the people in the room deal with this fear every day. Don't change my routine. <laughs> don't mess with my junk. Don't mess. It's a mess. I know it's a mess, but don't mess with my mess. Right? You know, that, that fear of change. And then the second driving fear oftentimes is the fear of rejection. That sense of, you know, what will, what will people think of me if they knew or, you know, if I really told them. You know, a lot of times we, we, we don't operate in, in, uh, in the power of our words. We don't harness the power of our words in a godly way because we're afraid of what others might think. For example, you might not share your faith with someone because you're fearful of rejection. Just, just, a, just an example. Number three. The third fear is this fear of criticism. I didn't do it right. <laughs> it 
Some of you are saying, ouch, right now. I, I hear it. That's okay. That's, that's probably, can I get a water too while you're at it? Um, that's probably, I'll just, you know, just being real and, and honest, that's probably one of my greatest areas that I struggle with is saying, Lord, you know, that, that idea of criticism, you know, if, if I didn't do it right, if it wasn't perfect enough, if I didn't, if I didn't do something perfect enough, that criticism. And then that, the fourth one is some of you, not probably less people in the room than the others, but that sense of loss of control. That someone's going someone's gonna to take advantage of you. And, and what happens is we move into this place of fear, one of these main fears. We move into these, this source of, of fear. And what happens is it keeps us out of walking in the security of God's love. So our speech becomes fear-driven instead of love-driven. Our speech becomes uh, based in, and rooted in these fears Instead of allowing the security of God's love to dictate what we say and where we, do, where we go and what we do. And so we, we operate in fear instead of love. So I want to I kind of unpack and take a look at the words and, and why our words are so powerful. Let me say this, though, uh, about confessions. As we start talking about having powerful confessions in our life. Is that abuse, of a, a, abuse or neglect of a biblical truth does not mean that I ignore that truth, and it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. Amen. A lot of times what we do, and you can take a look at the spiritual gifts, for example. People, people how many of you have seen someone get wacky with spiritual gifts or the teaching on, on healing or, or whatever? We, we've all seen, and I mean, name a doctrine that someone hasn't gotten goofy with. But that doesn't render the gospel ineffective or in error. The truth of the scripture is still there. So I would say to you this, don't react to an error with another error. You know, understand that, that just because if you, were to, if you ignore a truth, doesn't cleanse your hands of that truth. It's still truth. The, the scripture is still alive, it's still active, it's still sharper, it still divides. And so we have to understand, what does the scripture say, what does the Bible say about our speech, about our words? In James chapter 3, we, we see the example of our words being like a rudder on a ship. The direct, here's this tiny, comparatively speaking on a ship, uh, the tiniest portion almost of a ship. And it controls the direction of where that ship goes. James is teaching us about the power of our words that what we say dictates where we go. You can listen to what someone says and know where they're going. You can listen to a conversation and know where that person's heading. If all they talk about is their past and and being stuck and, and not being able to move forward, guess what? They're probably stuck in their life and not moving forward into the things that God has for them. Solomon teaches us in Proverbs 18 that the power of life and death is where? In the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. That means that within your mouth, within your speech, within your conversation, you have the ability to bring life to dead things and kill living things. You can bring despair and hopelessness in a situation or you can come into a situation and bring new life and new hope by the power of what you say. 
a lot of times we, I found myself even, you know, it's funny, as I was teaching and preparing this teaching and, and diving into scripture on this, it's funny how God begins to illuminate your own life. You know, so if you say, ouch, this morning, or oh me, I understand. <laughs> I was even thinking about things even this weekend that, oh, oh brother. <laughs> Let me share this with you, venting. How many of you vent? <laughs> Some of you look like a boiler that's about ready to spew over. You're venting so much. <laughs> Venting can become a problem in which we strengthen an issue, strengthen a situation, allow it to dictate our life, and it doesn't become an opportunity to find a solution. Let me encourage you that if you're going to vent, that make it a part, make it a point to make venting solution-finding, fact-finding versus gossiping or stirring. That situation in your life gains strength every time you vent about it. As we're talking about the power of our words and thinking about confessions here. What does the Bible say that in the beginning, God what? He created. And how did he do that? He spoke. He spoke. There's creative power in our words. You and I are created in the image of God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep diving into this, and I'm going to show you some scriptures on this. But, but in our words is the ability, we've talked about this for the year, creative power of God. The word for the year, this creative power of God. If you can learn to harness what you're saying and begin to confess what God is saying, think about the possibilities. If God's been speaking to you concerning something that he wants to do in your life... There's a place that he's bringing you in his spirit, in his word, in, in your experience with him. If all you talk about is the good old days and the horrible old days of the past, how can God bring you into the future? If God, wants, if God is revealing something to you, he's doing more than just sharing a secret with you. He's, this, this is not when, let me help you here. When you, when you share a secret with someone, what do you do? Don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anybody. God's not, God is not revealing his plans and his purposes for your life to keep it a secret. This isn't to be hit. It doesn't mean that you're arrogant and you're flaunting. It doesn't mean that you operate in pride. But he's speaking those things to you so that you can begin to align your life with what he is saying. So that you can begin to speak what he's saying about you. Come on, somebody. Help me out here. He wants, he's, he's telling you what he wants for your life so that you can align yourself with it. I, I'm going to keep going down this path, but, but I, I, I want you to get that. God's not telling you those things to keep you in a place of secrecy. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Let the what say I'm strong. Let the confession is happening. Let the weak say I am strong. 
It's the opposite of the current reality. They're not lying. They're speaking a truth that's greater than the present reality. Let the weak, when you feel the weakest and the most unable, is when you need your confession the most. When you feel like you can't, when you feel like Gideon hiding out in the wine press, when you feel like life is spinning and crazy all around you, that's when you need to begin to confess what God says all the more. It is a recognition, confession is a recognition of a truth that would not exist without Christ. It's coming into agreement with what God says and his word says and speaking something that is truth in Christ. The present reality might not say that. In the natural, you look at the sickness, the disease, the family, whatever it is, the the situation, and, and you can begin to talk about all the negative. But when you say, let the weak say I am strong, it's, it's understanding of the current situation, the present reality, but who I am in Christ. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So even though I feel weak, I am strong in Christ. Here's what Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Again, this is, this is a scripture concerning a, a confession. His strength, what does he say? His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And Paul says, he, he adds this, so I will boast in my weakness. Now that doesn't mean that he's walking around, <laughs> look at my weakness. <laughs> You know, that word boast does not mean pride. The word boast there in the Greek means to rejoice in. So what is, what is Paul saying when he says I boast in here? What is my confession? What am I saying? What am I speaking? I'm declaring the praise of God who is strong in my weakness. Y'all are going to make me work for this this morning, aren't you? I'm, I'm declaring the praise of him who is able. Right before that, he says, God says, my grace is sufficient. So when I rejoice, when I declare my praise in my weakness, I am declaring that the grace of God is sufficient to carry me through. Here's some ways in which we confess. And we're going to talk about what confession is and such in a moment. I'm going to jump to Romans 10 and we're going to dive in. But let me give you six important ways that we confess, if you will, or have a powerful confession. The first way that we do this is through speaking the word of God. We do this through speaking his word. For example, I am a child of God. We sang it this morning. We declared it this morning. I am God's Child, I am forgiven. I am free. We're declaring what God says. Instead of speaking out of fear, we speak blessing. You know, our natural response is to speak out of fear, but, but walking in love, we speak blessings. We speak blessings over our life. We speak blessings over our children. We speak blessings over those in, in our church body, and our family. Instead of speaking curses, we speak blessing. We are appropriating the word of God. The second way we do this is through our praise and our worship. 
We declare who God is. We confess who God is. We confess his work. We confess his power. We confess his nature. We're confessing who he is through praise and worship. We confess who he is, thirdly, through prayer. As we're praying, prayer is more than just a liturgy of uh, let me tell you all of my needs. But what does God say about each of those? God, you said that you are my healer. By your stripes, I am healed. It's a confession. By your stripes, I am healed. It's a reality of a divine truth that would not exist without Christ. I am confessing I am healed. So we do it through prayer. We do it in praying in tongues. We confess as you pray in the Spirit, you are praying and declaring the perfect will of God. Praying in tongues is so powerful. You get your natural self completely out of the way. You're not, you're not talking carnal talk, natural talk, but you're talking the very essence of who God is and what He's saying. So through praying in tongues, you're confessing. You know, that's why we emphasize so much, one of the reasons why we emphasize so much about praying in tongues is that, that this is divine communication. It's heavenly communication. It's more than just, you know, for those that have, you know, been around for ages and, and have heard, you know, it's the initial physical evidence and that. And we get stuck oftentimes right there. It's the initial physical evidence and we don't go any further than that. Tongues is more than just, if it was just an evidence, let me, let me just pause here on this. If it was just an evidence, then, then why on earth would God choose tongues as an evidence? It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Right? Does, your, does the evidence of your salvation disappear after you get born again? No, it doesn't. Is there, is there evidence in your life of the effects of God's word in your life? Is it, does, do those continue? Uh, they should. So, so why... Would we say that the evidence, this, this wonderful heavenly language, why would it end after a baptism or immersion? It's ongoing. This, this, this speaking in tongues is a divine communication. It's confessing the truth. You, you may not know the truth or understand it as you're speaking it, but as you begin to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit comes just as, you're, as He's speaking through you. He begins to reveal things in you. You're yielding to the Spirit of God, so He cannot be speaking through your mouth and not revealing something at the same time. It's powerful. It's powerful. So let me keep going. Number five, we, we confess through the proclamation of the gospel. As we, as we preach, as we evangelize, we're confessing who God is. We're confessing his power. We're confessing salvation. And then we, we confess through repentance. Number six, we confess through repentance. You confess to one another. You confess to God. And there's healing in that. I want to challenge you to make this a year where you're going to start speaking what God says. I want to encourage you. I'll say it again. I want to encourage you. Make this a year when you will start speaking. Some of you, uh, some of you have situations going on in your world that need to hear the word of God. 
Some of you have situations going on in life where you've spoken so much negativity over them and you don't understand why they're not changing. But if you, they need, they need, those circumstances need to hear the word of God concerning that. Here's, here's what Ephesians says about this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, let your words build up. Let your words build up and give grace. And think about that. Your speech, what you say, is like mortar in a building that's edifying. It's building up. It's creating a structure. Again, in the beginning, God created and he spoke. He spoke through creation. Creation was created for the word of God. The word of God is the structure that's holding creation. John used that, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but John used that that term, logos. Logos, we've talked about this, but in John chapter 1, he uses this word logos to describe the word of God becoming manifest. It's, it was a term that philosophers used, Greek philosophers used in his day to describe this power that, that holds creation in, in cosmos out of chaos. John said it was the word of God. Okay, you're tracking with me. This is the word of God. Is the, it's the very essence that holds creation in existence. If there was no word, if God didn't speak, nothing would exist. And nothing would continue to exist. So the very essence of what you're sitting on, breathing today, uh, your life is held together by a word. Yeah. By a word. God said, let it be. Okay? Think about this. We are created in his image. Paul teaches us in Ephesians 4.29. Let your words what? Build up. Your words have that same DNA as your heavenly father to create and be sustaining for people in this life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That God is, is entrusting to his creation fallen creation, this power of life and death, the words that we say can become the very supportive network, the mortar that holds up someone's life. Give grace. Let them build up. Let them establish. Proverbs 13.3. Just another powerful truth about our words. It says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Now, I know some of you immediately started to think of, yeah, you say something to the wrong person, you're going to get decked. But th- that, that, that's, that's a very simple truth. But, but, but let's take that a little bit further, shall we? So in Proverbs 4, verse 23, we're, we're talking about guarding your life through the words that you speak. Proverbs 4, 23 says that out of your heart flows the wellsprings of life. Okay, so I'm just going to take you down a journey. So you got your heart, and out of it is flowing the wellsprings or the issues of life. Solomon teaches us to guard it. In Matthew 15, Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So as you're guarding, there's a direct connection between guarding your mouth and guarding your 
heart. What is in your heart is going to come out. In other words, your mouth is like a barometer for your heart. You can measure what's going to happen next by measuring what's happening here. Learning to check your barometer can prevent some storms. You hear me? You hear me? Check your heart. Out of your heart will flow the issues, the wellspring of life. It's coming out of your mouth. Your mouth is the, it's the gate. It's the barometer. Checking what's coming out of there can prevent some serious storms. But it can also, but it can also propel you into fullness of life. What did Proverbs 13 say? Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. It doesn't just work on the side of preservation. It works on the side of propelling. You can be stuck by what you say, but you can be propelled by what you say. In Psalms 119, 105, let me give you this. I like this one too. This is just my introduction. (laughs) I'm just laying some foundation. I haven't even got to my scripture yet. Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp. Let me say that again. Your word, everybody say your your word. What you speak, God. Your word is a lamp to my feet. His word illuminates my path. His word brings clarity to my path. So as you begin to speak the word of God, what are you doing? You're illuminating the pathway ahead of you. If you're in a a confusing, dark place, speak the word of God. If you're in uncertainty, speak the word of God. If you're on the mountaintop, speak the word of God. It will illuminate the path before you. It bring clarity to your path. I, I would even go so far as to say it might be beneficial for you to write down the word of God. That he has spoken to you. What he's saying to you. And put it somewhere where you see it every day. And you confess that over your life. I'm not talking about buying your new Rolls Royce. I'm talking about what is God saying about you and for you that you need to walk in. What is he saying for this year? What is he saying over your life? What is he saying over your family? As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Why do you think God told the Israelites to put the Ten Commandments on their doorposts? It wasn't just a nice uh, home decoration. You know, it wasn't featured on Southern Living Magazine. That's not why they did that. You know, that's not why God chose to do that. It was every time they walked out their door, they saw the law of God. It was a confession for their life. It was a direction for their life. Amen. Your word is a light. So let's go to Romans chapter 10. Now that I've laid a little bit of groundwork there for you, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Now that, now that our time is coming to a close, Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. <laughs> this is a powerful scripture that we often use with salvation. 
And it is true about salvation and redemption. But the same confession is true in our life. Romans 10, 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now leave that verse up there for a moment, Brock. It says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in, it's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And what is that word? What is the word that was in their heart and their mouth? What, what, was, what was Paul talking about? It is the word of faith. It was a word of faith. This was not just some random confession. This wasn't some random idea. It wasn't just turning through the scripture and pulling a scripture out of context. This was a word of faith. That word, that faith, faith there is a word of conviction. It's a word of reality. Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us that now faith is, and we know the scripture, it is, the, it is a guaranteed, it's a reality that we don't see with our natural eyes. It's seen through the eyes of of faith in God. It's a confident expectation. There is, there is, just as you sit on the pew you're sitting on this morning and know that it's going to support you and hold you up, thank the Lord, you can walk on the word of faith that God has released. It's that real for you. Example, this morning in our prayer time, Mike made mention of, I just knew that God wanted to heal people. So I just said, if you need healing this morning, come on up. It was... I, I wasn't operating in presumption. I wasn't operating in, well, I hope God does this. You know, although that, you know, there are, there are times where we just take God at his general word that he says he will heal. But I knew there was a certainty that God wanted to heal. He was breathing on that word, by your stripes, I am healed. He was breathing on that word. And it wasn't just a general understanding. It was a right now God was going to heal. And so I said, if you need healing, come forward. And everybody that came forward got healed. Now, that has nothing to do with me. It's just what God said. He said, I want to heal. And so he healed. We just confess the word and respond in obedience, and God does what he says he'll do. It's really that simple. This is not hard. So it's a word. Where my scripture go? So it was a word of faith. Did you like that? It was a word of faith, just like that. (laughs) Now, where did that word of faith come from? He says we were preaching that word. What is preaching? It's a confession. It's proclamation. So we were proclaiming a word of faith that not only affected us, that word of faith didn't just affect the preacher, but it got into the heart and the mouth of its hearers. I mean, I hope that happens every time you hear me preach. I hope that there's a word of faith coming out and getting on the inside of you. That, that it's not just, oh, that was a great service. But, but there's something that's deposited in you that gets into your heart and comes out of your mouth. So that's, that's what he's talking about. That there's a word of faith which we are preaching. Now, I want to I capture something here. That if you confess... That word confess. What are they confessing? They're confessing the word of faith. They're confessing the word of faith. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, 
It was a word of faith. It was what they were preaching. So they began to confess what they were. Is there, are you getting this? I'm, I'm, I'm taking, I'm going real slow this morning because I don't want to leave anybody behind. But they confess, that word confess in the Greek word is uh, homolo, homologio or homolia, something like that. Homologio. We'll just say that. Go look it up if you don't believe me. Anyway, it means, this is what that word means. It means to come into agreement with. It means to voice agreement with. It means to come into alignment, to align yourself with, and to voice, to voice that alignment, to speak in agreement, to speak the same thing. So when they're saying they confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they were saying the same thing the apostles were saying. They were confessing the word of faith. They were speaking the word of faith. Jesus is Lord. They were confessing the word of faith. Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead. That was their confession. That was produced, if you keep reading the scripture, it was produced where? Out of the heart. If you believed in the heart, it produces confession. Now, the word there, I want to I zero in. Are you all with me this morning? The word, word. The word is near in your heart, is in you, it's in your mouth. The word of faith. What does that word mean? That word, the word, word, the word, word. That word there is the word rhema. Now, some of you have heard this word before. You've heard, uh, you know, the word rhema and, and such. And I, I, I want to break that down for you, but, but I'll do that in a moment. Just keep in mind that it's the word rhema. Jesus taught us that out of the abundance of the heart, Luke 6, 45, the what? The mouth speaks. They're believing in their heart and they're speaking. I want you to rewind the clock to Peter when he denied Jesus. Remember, out of his mouth, he was speaking. We find... Jesus and Peter, fast forward, we find them at the lake after Jesus' resurrection. And three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And three times, Peter said, I love you. You know I love you. Lord, I love you. Every, every word that was spoken in condemnation was met with the positive, powerful, Christ-centered confession that restored Peter, brought him out of his running and his fear and moved him back into being the rock upon which Christ would build his church. Every denial was met with a proclamation, Lord, I love you, and there was restoration in Peter's life. I think it's important for us, we've been talking about this for the past couple of weeks, but I think it's important for us to understand our, our confessions and what we say in the light of our position in Christ. We've been talking about how we are called the royal priesthood, the called out ones, a holy nation. We're the ambassadors of Christ. Now, when you're an ambassador or when you're a priest of God, your responsibility is what? To say what the king says. If you're an ambassador, you speak what the king is saying. If you don't, you lose your job. 
Your, your role as an ambassador is to represent the one who sent you. So when you begin to speak the words of the king that you're operating under, you're operating under his authority. If you're speaking your own words and saying your own confessions, you're, you're operating outside of the authority that, that you've been given. But when you come into agreement with what the king says, the king not only endorses it, he supports it and responds by enforcing it. I'll say that again. When you speak what the king says, he endorses it and he enforces it. If God says, by my stripes you are healed, and, and that word of God has become alive in your heart, and he's breathing on that, and you're confessing, you're coming into alignment with that word, and you're confessing that word, God not only endorses it, seals it with his blood, but enforces it with a manifestation. When, when, when Jehoshaphat went out into battle, he went confessing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. God would not be a merciful God if he didn't win the battle. The confession would not be true if God didn't fix the problem. But God said, set the singers out, set, set the worshipers out, set those out who are going to confess the truth of who I am, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And what did God do? He endorsed it and he enforced it. He set confusion among the enemies so that they killed themselves. The, you know, sometimes, sometimes God will put you right in the middle of the battle and say, confess my word. In that situation, he said, confess it and I'll handle it in advance. Don't, don't underestimate the power of your confession when you don't see God respond how you thought he would. The power of his word is still the same. What he said is still true. It will not return void. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. His word will not return void. What he said, he's going to do it. But he doesn't have to do it your way. Right? So he, he says, go out. And, the, and Jehoshaphat saw the victory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, on the other hand, they went into the fire. Our God is able to save us. <laughs> Confession. But I love what they said, even if he don't. We ain't worshiping you. <laughs> So do what you want. We don't have any other option. We're going in or God's going to deliver us from it. But regardless, our God is able. Regardless of how he handles it, our God is able. God may have given you a word for your family. And you're looking at your family and saying, this this doesn't add up. <laughs> what you're saying, oftentimes, remember, oftentimes, the confession that God gives you, the word he speaks over you, looks very different than your present circumstance. That's why it's called a word of faith. If it was a, if it was a word of reality, present reality, it would require no faith, and there would be no confession needed. It would already be happening. 
It'd already be happening in front of us. But God said, confess it, a word of faith. Confess, believe in your heart and confess, and watch what will happen. So if God's giving you a word, stand on that word. Speak that word. Get in the script, not some, you know, loosey-goosey, your own translation of it. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, don't add to what God said. And don't take away from it either. I'll say that. Don't add to it and don't take away. Faith is accepting the word of the Lord for what he said, regardless of your own interpretation, whether you think it's possible or not. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. I'll keep preaching. Now let's get to these words here, these rhema words, the word for words, the words for words, the word. My wife's telling me to be quiet and sit down, so I'll hurry up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a clock on the back wall, so I, our, our screen is being repaired, so I'm, she's my time clock. Be quiet. <laughs> Don't mock me. I think they say I preach long. I don't know. You want to hear more? Okay, well, I'll keep going. <laughs> Rhema. This is a powerful word. Rhema and Logos. Two words in Scripture for word. You'll also find, let me say this. This is interesting. I, I'm, going to talk, I'm going to talk about Logos. I know. I, I love this. Man, I love this. It's so powerful. It will change your life. There, there's, there's, two, there's two main words in Scripture for, for word. Logos and rhema. You'll also find the word occasionally used, sperma. Now, you can figure out what that's talking about. But, but it is the word is likened to a seed that produces fruit. When, when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, and the sower went out and sowed seed, he sowed the word of God, he sowed the sperma of God. It was a seed that was going out and producing fruit. So there's, there's one. We don't see that often. The two main ones that we see is rhema and logos. So I, I'm going to focus in on those. Logos is, is the message If I can help you understand this, Logos is used to describe the message of God, the general message of God. In other words, we really see it, and I mentioned it earlier, we really see it in John chapter 1, where John uses this idea of the Logos or the Logos, the Greek philosophers of the time had this theory that there was a power that held creation in cosmos, meaning it kept it out of chaos. How I many understand what chaos is? That there was a power keeping the world out of chaos, holding it in its order. That there was such precision in the order of creation that there had to be a, an, uh, an impersonable, unseen force that held it together. And they called that force the Logos, 
or the Logos. And so John says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God. And he fast forward to verse 14, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him. So he's saying this message of God, the word, the message of God is this force, is this power that is sustaining creation. And he's not impersonable. We've seen him. He's not, it's not a far off distant force. It's God himself. And God himself came into creation. And we saw the very one who holds all things together by the word of his power. Again, he's holding all things together by his word. So awesome. So that's the logos. The rhema word is how that message is communicated. You may have heard it. Some people have said the right now word. What is, what is God saying now? What, it, what is the scripture? I can go through and I can read the logos of God. But the rhema of God is what, he, what jumps out at me as I'm reading. What God breathes on and says, this is for you. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm saying. How many of you have been there where you've just been reading scripture? And as you've been reading, the Holy Ghost comes in and he breathes on that logos. And a rhema comes off that page. That's the difference. So this word of confession, if we go back to Romans 10, this word of confession is a rhema. It's not just a message. It's how it was being delivered. It was God breathing in that moment on that word that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And it's a reality. I don't know. I don't question my salvation. It is real as this platform I'm standing on. It's because it's a rhema of God. It's not just a message that was sent. It is the reality of God. It's a rhema word of God in my heart. It's interesting to me that this is the most difficult things for us to understand, though. It is the easiest. How many of you say that this is easy, what I'm saying? This is simple to understand. This is so simple. It's the word of God. The Holy Ghost comes. He breathes on a word, makes it alive. He's speaking. And we begin to speak that word. And God does it. It's that simple. With the word of God, by faith in our heart, you'll be born again. You'll be saved. Okay, awesome. I believe it. I confess. It's that easy. There's, there's no, you know, we, God could have required for our salvation that we have to come forward in the church, sign away our life, give a million dollars, sign up to, you know, give our blood to the church when we die. You know, all of these, whatever. He could have made it some complicated process. But all he did was said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Do you, uh, do, do you see? And we have complicated it. Fill the card out, fill the paper out. Somebody will call you and follow up. And then, you, you know, good Lord Almighty, just come forward, confess your sin, and you shall be saved. I mean, this is so simple. So simple. It operates the same way in our everyday life after salvation. Confession of the word of God doesn't change. Oh, y'all were shouting me down when I was talking about salvation. Probably because we understand that. We got that. But when it comes to our daily life, the very simple essence of the words that we speak bring life or death. 
Confession is speaking in agreement with what God has already said. It's understanding that God has already spoken this. It's not a lie. When you're confessing something, you're not lying. You understand the truth. You cannot confess that God raised him from the dead. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. He's my son. You can't confess that unless you know it to be a truth. But as you confess it, the reality of that, the reality of that truth takes over. You're, there's a new nature. Christ puts something different upon you. He endorses and enforces what he has already said and what you are now speaking. See? This is simple. So it's the same thing in our positive, powerful confession of what God's saying. It doesn't deny what's happening in the natural. It doesn't deny that there's sickness. It doesn't deny that there's symptoms. It doesn't deny that there might be family drama. It doesn't deny the present reality. But it confesses that Jesus is Lord over that situation. Now, Jesus did this. Jesus practiced powerful confessions. How do I know? Because Jesus said in John 8, I say only that which my Father has taught me. <laughs> Man, if we could get to that point, right? <laughs> How much different would our life look if all we ever said was what God said? Woo! <laughs> There'd be a lot less talking going on, probably. <laughs> so he spoke only what the Father gave him. He spoke with what the Father taught him to say. He came into agreement with what God was saying and spoke that only. What are some positive confessions that we should be making over our life. I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a couple. Jesus is my Lord. This is not mind over matter. Okay? Positive confessions is not mind over matter. You know the reality of God and you're speaking that. Jesus is my Lord. And every time that you say that, you're coming into agreement with what God is saying, and it produces life on the inside of you. There's, it's, a, it's an assurance of what God has already said. It builds faith. It stirs up the creative power of God within you. It strengthens the, the fibers of what God has created in you. Jesus is my Lord. You're going through a difficult situation. Jesus is my Lord. If he's Lord over my life, that means he's Lord over this situation. And there's absolutely nothing the devil can do about it. He ain't Lord. He, is, he used to be my Lord. But he ain't my Lord anymore. He used to be. But I'm not in that kingdom anymore. Addiction, bondage, slavery. Yeah. That was what that was. But I'm walking in life, liberty, joy, peace, righteousness. The Lord, Jesus is my Lord. A couple of scriptures for that. 
to, to go read on your own. You just jot them down. Romans 10, 9, we read it. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. How about this one? My father protects and cares for me. Uh, can I just pause on this and say, if you're not careful, you will move into a place of fear on this because of your relationship with your daddy. I'm not talking about heavenly daddy. I'm talking about earthly daddy. Someone let you down in this life. Someone dropped the ball. They hurt you. They offended you. Whatever happened, happened. And if you're not careful, when you hear this confession, my father protects and cares for me. We're good with Jesus as Lord, but take a step further and my father protects and cares for me. Whoa, 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 whoa. My earthly father didn't do that. Or someone I trusted didn't do that. And so our carnal old nature starts rising up and we don't want to confess. We want to operate in fear. And so what you have to begin, God, what do you say about this? What is your word? Well, let me, let me give you. Let me just, I feel like I'm on something here. So can you just go with me? Psalm 68. I just, I sense the Holy Ghost just talking to somebody this morning. Psalm 68, verse 5. I'll give you a scripture. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. My Father cares for me. Let me read it again. Psalm 68, 5. A father of the fatherless. Well, let's go here. A father of the fatherless. A defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. He's a father to what? Verse 6. He sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. My father cares for me. He protects me. James 1.17. Let's go there. I like that one. Everybody say that. My father, My father protects, protects and cares for me. I have so many notes falling out of my Bible right now. Hebrews 1.17. Sorry, James. <laughs> I just went past Hebrews and James 1.17. I like this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Who comes down from who? My father. He protects and he cares for me. Let me give you a couple more and we'll wrap this up. Uh, worship team, you can come on up. <laughs> Another confession. I do not want to worry. I do not want or worry. And I live in peace. I do not want. I do not worry. And I live in peace. Psalms, isn't that what David said in Psalms 23.1? I shall not. Psalms 23.1. Philippians 4.19. John 14.27. I shall not want or worry. I live in peace. That word peace in the scripture, the shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Everything in its place. The shalom of God. The peace of God. 
everything functioning properly, walking in harmony, unity, nothing missing, nothing broken. Another one, Christ is my hope and my healing. Christ is my hope and my healing. I, I mean, let me say this. I know, I, I feel like I could just keep going. And, and, and I, how many, oh man. Just want to come back tomorrow night and I'll finish it. I'll finish it tomorrow night. But, but let me say this. In, in the covenant of redemption, in the covenant of redemption, there is not, there's not, it's not only sin as we think of sin, forgiveness of sin, but in that, in that covenant with God, everybody say covenant. covenant. Does God lie? No. no. So he's made an agreement with himself for your benefit, for your redemption, for your healing, for your peace, for your prosperity. It's all there. So when we don't live in the fullness of that, we're missing something in the contract. So, so in dealing with contracts frequently in the business world, when, when you sign a contract and, and somebody breaks their part of the contract or you want to know what, what's available to you because you signed that contract with that company, what do you do? You got to go back and read the contract and see what's provided, right? You got to go back and say, oh, well, that's, I missed that there or, oh, I can have that. I didn't know I could get that because it was in the contract and we're not even, how many of you have ever done that before where you go back and you read a contract and you're like, oh, I'm not even taking advantage of that. I didn't even know I had that benefit in the contract. We have a contract with heaven and a lot of times we don't even know what's in there. And part of that is not just the remission of sins. That's, that's, a, that's in that essence, in the essence of forgiveness of sins. It's a reset on the curse. It's a reset, if you can, before the fall. It's a reset on the curse. So everything that God had intended for us to walk in, that sin caused us to be separated from, is now accessible to us because of redemption. That means if you go back to what the garden looked like before sin, that we're to walk with God, take dominion over the things of the earth, walk in the prosperity. They, they were lacking nothing in the garden. Clothes. They didn't have clothes. They weren't shopping at Saks Fifth. I'm telling you that. They were, they were good, but they didn't need it. But everything that they had need of, God took care of. And even when they needed clothes, God took care of that too. of our words produce life come into agreement I want to challenge you this morning to, to walk come back of course come back tomorrow we'll finish I want to take a look at, at some examples 
of our confession and take a look and dive into some scriptures. Now, y'all have a great foundation now for tomorrow night. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I hope this was a blessing for you today. I feel like I could have even preached about half of what I just said and it would have been enough. It's just like, it's so much, it's so rich. So I hope you go back and listen to the podcast or you took notes, those things would be helpful. If you're watching us live right now, I just want you to turn off all the distractions. We're going to pray together. pray together. We're going to pray together in here. And I, I want us, I want us to practice what we just preached. What is God speaking to you? What is God saying to you? What is the word of the Lord to you? Maybe you're at today at the very foundation of he's my Lord. Maybe you just need to remind yourself and begin to speak that. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is is my Lord. And you and you begin to proclaim and declare that over your life. And you start to proclaim that addictions have no room. An addiction has no room to be Lord over you if Jesus is Lord over you. Did you hear me? The, the drive and the need for approval has no, no rule, has no authority. If Jesus is your Lord, it's, there's no room. Jesus is my Lord. Maybe he's this morning, he's my healer and my hope. Jesus is my healer and my hope. Begin to speak. I want to, I want one more thing. I just hear the Hurley, the, the Hurley Spirit. The Holy Spirit just came in. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, wow, that, that tongue tied. The Holy Spirit just came in spoke talk about words <laughs> some of you the enemy has kept you bound up in your tongue it's like he's come and he's clamped down on your speech because he knows the power that resides in your tongue and it's not that you're even saying anything negative you're just not saying anything at all Sometimes the enemy will get us so bound up in our fear and the what ifs that we don't, it's not even that we're operating in error or sin, it's just we're not functioning at all. He just shuts it down and we say, God, I don't have a voice. I don't have a place to say anything. I don't, and he robs you of your voice. It's like a, it's like an overbearing person. That's the only way I can describe it. It's like an overbearing person that anytime you say anything, what they say is louder or more important. Have you ever been there? And like if you don't agree with the overbearing person, you're wrong and they just override. It doesn't matter. And you just kind of shut down and hide. And so you've, you've I don't want to say you've lost your voice because it's still there. 
is just hidden. It's just hidden. And God this morning just wants to pry open your mouth. Let that voice come out. Let that voice. You have the creative word of God in there. You have the creative word of God in there. And you need to let it out. You need to let it out. Let me, let, let me give you an example of this from Scripture to help you. I, I'm trying not, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm boring you, but I really feel like people are walking through this this morning. And it's really, we're really, we're like we're really, really getting somewhere with today. Jesus, in, in the place of temptation, when he was in the wilderness, he could have said anything. He could have done anything. He also could have shut down. The enemy came and was tempting him and trying to lure him away from his destiny. And he could he could have just shut up and just sat there and just took it. He could have just been quiet and just took it. Okay, devil. Okay, devil. Okay, devil. Okay, devil. But he didn't. What did he do? He spoke. He spoke the word of God. And it created, came into alignment with what God was already saying, and began to create and bring clarity for what was coming. It was after that temptation he came back. What? Not beat up and bruised and feeling defeated. No, what was me? No, no, no. He didn't come back. He came back to the temple, head held high, confident in his God. And the Bible said, full of the Holy Ghost. Creativity, the word of God. And he stood, he stood up. Where did he do? Goes in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. That doesn't sound like somebody who's been beat up and who has succumbed to the devil's blah of an overbearing devil. That sounds like somebody who's walking in confidence, who's been proclaiming the Word of God, confessing the Word of God over their life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I wonder how many times he had to say that. It was recorded once. I wonder how many times he actually said it. Man shall not live by bread alone. Came back full of the Holy Ghost, went in the temple. They tried to kill him. They couldn't. From day one, they tried to kill him. So we're going to practice. I want you to confess. The worship team is just going to join us in prayer. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.